This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Tragedy of King Richard II by William Shakespeare. Act One. Scene One. London, a room in the palace. Enter King Richard, attended. John of Gaunt, with other nobles. Old John of Gaunt, time-honoured Lancaster. Hast thou, according to thy oath and band, brought hither Henry Hereford, thy bold son, here to make good the boisterous late appeal, which then our leisure would not let us hear, against the Duke of Norfolk, Thomas Mowbray? I have, my liege. Tell me, moreover, hast thou sounded him if he appeal the Duke on ancient malice, or worthily, as a good subject should, on some known ground of treachery in him? As near as I could sift him on that argument, on some apparent danger seen in him, aimed at your highness, no inveterate malice. Then call them to our presence. Face to face, and frowning brow to brow, Ourselves will hear the accuser and the accused freely speak. High-stomached are they both, and full of ire, In rage, deaf as the sea, hasty as fire. Re-enter attendants with Bolingbroke and Mowbray. Many years of happy days befall my gracious sovereign, My most loving liege. Each day still better others' happiness until the heavens Envying earth's good hap, add an immortal title to your crown. We thank you both, yet one but flatters us, as well appeareth by the cause you come, namely, to appeal each other of high treason. Cousin of Hereford, what dost thou object against the Duke of Norfolk, Thomas Mowbray? First, heaven be the record to my speech. In the devotion of a subject's love, tendering the precious safety of my prince, and free from other misbegotten hate, come I appellant to this princely presence. Now, Thomas Mowbray, do I turn to thee, and mark my greeting well, for what I speak my body shall make a good upon this earth, or my divine soul answer it in heaven. Thou art a traitor and a miscreant, too good to be so and too bad to live. Since the more fair and crystal is the sky, the uglier seem the clouds that in it fly. Once more, the more to aggravate the note, with a foul traitor's name stuff I thy throat. And wish, so please my sovereign, ere I move, what my tongue speaks, my right-drawn sword may prove. Let not my cold words here accuse my zeal, "'Tis not the trial of a woman's war. "'The bitter clamour of two eager tongues "'can arbitrate this cause betwixt us twain. "'The blood is hot that must be cooled for this. "'Yet can I not of such tame patience boast "'as to be hushed and not at all to say? First, the fair reverence of your highness "'curbs me from giving reins and spurs to my free speech.' which else would post until it had returned these terms of treason doubled down his throat setting aside his high blood's royalty and let him be no kinsman to my liege i do defy him and i spit at him 
and call him a slanderous coward and a villain, which to maintain I would allow him odds and meet him, were I tied to run afoot even to the frozen ridges of the Alps, or any other ground inhabitable, wherever Englishman durst set his foot. Meantime, let this defend my loyalty. By all my hopes, most falsely doth he lie. Pale trembling coward, there I throw my gage, disclaiming here the kindred of the king, and lay aside my high blood's royalty, which fear, not reverence, makes thee to accept. If guilty dread have left thee so much strength, as to take up mine honour's pawn, then stoop. By that, and all the rights of knighthood else, will I make good against thee, arm to arm, when I have spoke, or thou canst worst devise. I take it up, and by that sword I swear, which gently laid my knighthood on my shoulder, I'll answer thee in any fair degree, or chivalrous design of knightly trial, and when I mount, alive may I not light if I be traitor, or unjustly fight. What doth our cousin lay to Mowbray's charge? It must be great that can inherit us so much as of a thought of ill in him. Look, what I speak, my life shall prove it true, that Mowbray hath received eight thousand nobles in the name of lendings for your highness's soldiers the which he hath detained for lewd employments, like a false traitor and injurious villain. Besides, I say and will in battle prove, or here, or elsewhere to the farthest verge, that ever was surveyed by English eye, that all the treasons for these eighteen years, complotted and contrived in this land, fetch from false Mowbray their first head and spring. Further, I say, and further will maintain, upon his bad life to make all this good, that he did plot the Duke of Gloucester's death. Suggest his soon-believing adversaries, and consequently, like a traitor coward, slewest out his innocent soul through streams of blood, which blood, like sacrificing evils, cries even from the tongueless caverns of the earth to me for justice and rough chastisement. And by the glorious worth of my descent, this arm shall do it, or this life be spent. How high a pitch his resolution soars! Thomas of Norfolk, what sayest thou to this? Oh, let my sovereign turn away his face, and bid his ears a little while be deaf, till I have told this slander of his blood, how God and good men hate so foul a liar! Mowbray, impartial are our eyes and ears. Were he my brother, nay, my kingdom's heir, as he is but my father's brother's son, now by my sceptre's oar I make a vow such neighbour nearness to our sacred blood should nothing privilege him, nor partialise the unstooping firmness of my upright soul. He is our subject, Mowbray, so art thou, free speech and fearless, I to thee allow. Then Bolingbroke, 
as low as to thy heart, through the false passage of thy throat thou liest. Three parts of that receipt I had for Calais, dispersed I duly to his highness's soldiers. The other part reserved I by consent, for that my sovereign liege was in my debt, upon remainder of a dear account, since last I went to France to fetch his queen. Now swallow down that lie. For Gloucester's death I slew him not, but to my own disgrace neglected my sworn duty in that case. For you, my noble lord of Lancaster, the honourable father to my foe, once did I lay an ambush for your life, a trespass that doth vex my grieved soul. But ere I last received the sacrament I did confess it, and exactly begged your grace's pardon, and I hope I had it. This is my fault. As for the rest appealed, it issues from the rancour of a villain, a recreant and most degenerate traitor, which in myself I boldly will defend, and interchangeably hurl down my gauge upon this overweening traitor's foot, to prove myself a loyal gentleman even in the blessed blood chambered in his bosom. In haste whereof most heartily I pray your highness to assign our trial-day. Wrath-kindled gentleman, be ruled by me. Let's purge this collar without letting blood. This we prescribe, though no physician. Deep malice makes too deep incision. Forget, forgive, conclude, and be agreed. Our doctors say this is no month to bleed. Good uncle, let this end where it begun. We'll calm the Duke of Norfolk, you your son. To be a make-peace shall become my age. Throw down, my son, the Duke of Norfolk's gage. And Norfolk, throw down his. When, Harry, when, obedience bids, I should not bid again. Norfolk, throw down, we bid. There is no boot. Myself I throw, dread sovereign, at thy foot. My life thou shalt command, but not my shame. The one my duty owes, but my fair name, despite of death that lives upon my grave, to dark dishonour's use thou shalt not have. I am disgraced, impeached, and baffled here, pierced to the soul with slander's venom spear, the which no balm can cure but his heart-blood which breathe this poison. Rage must be withstood. Give me his gauge. Lions make leopards tame. Yea, but not change his spots. Take but my shame, and I resign my gage. My dear, dear Lord, the purest treasure mortal times afford in spotless reputation. That away men are but gilded loam or painted clay. A jewel in a ten times barred-up chest is a bold spirit in a loyal breast. Mine honour is my life, both grow in one. Take honour from me, and my life is done. Then, dear my liege, mine honour let me try, in that I live, and for that will I die. Cousin, throw down your gauge. Do you begin? Oh, God defend my soul from such deep sin. Shall I seem crestfallen in my father's sight, or with pale beggar fear impeach my height? Before this outdarred bastard, ere my tongue shall wound my honour with such feeble wrong, 
or sound so base apparel, my teeth shall tear the slavish motive of recanting fear, and spit it bleeding in this high disgrace, where shame doth harbor even in Mowbray's face. Exit Gaunt We were not born to sue, but to command, which, since we cannot do to make you friends, be ready, as your lives shall answer it, at Coventry upon St. Lambert's Day. There shall your swords and lances arbitrate the swelling difference of your settled hate. Since we cannot atone you, we shall see justice design the victor's chivalry. Lord Marshal, command their officers at arms, be ready to direct these home alarms. Exeunt End of Act One, Scene One Act One, Scene Two, The Same, A Room in the Duke of Lancaster's Palace. Enter Gaunt and Duchess of Gloucester. Alas, the part I had in Woodstock's blood doth more solicit me than your exclaims to stir against the butchers of his life. But since correction lieth in those hands which made the fault, that we cannot correct. Put we our quarrel to the will of heaven, who, when they see the hours ripe on earth, will rain hot vengeance on offenders' heads. Finds brotherhood in thee no sharper spur, hath love in thy old blood no living fire, Edward's seven sons, whereof thyself art one, were of seven vials of his sacred blood, or seven fair branches springing from one root. Some of those seven are dried by nature's course, some of those branches by the destiny's cut, but Thomas, my dear Lord, my life, my Gloucester, one vial of Edward's sacred blood, one flourishing branch of his most royal root, is cracked. And all the precious liquor spilt is hacked down, and his summer leaves all vaded by envy's hand and murder's bloody axe. Ah, Gaunt, his blood was thine, that bed, that womb, that metal, that self-mould that fashioned thee made him a man. And though thou livest and breathest, yet art thou slain in him. Thou dost consent in some large measure to thy father's death, in that thou seest thy wretched brother die, who was the model of thy father's life. Call it not patience, Gaunt, it is despair. In suffering thus thy brother to be slaughtered, thou showest the naked pathway to thy life, teaching stern murder how to butcher thee. That which in mean men we entitle patience is pale cold cowardice in noble breasts. What shall I say? To safeguard thine own life, the best way is to venge my Gloucester's death. God's is the quarrel, for God's substitute, his deputy anointed in his sight, has caused his death, 
the which if wrongfully let heaven revenge, for I may never lift an angry arm against his minister. Where then, alas, may I complain myself? To God, the widow's champion and defence. Why then, I will. Farewell, old gaunt. Thou goest to Coventry, there to behold our cousin Hereford, and fell Milbury fight. Oh, sit my husband's wrongs on Hereford's spear, that it may enter, butcher, Mowbray's breast. Or, if misfortune miss the first career, be Mowbray's sins so heavy in his bosom that they may break his foaming courser's back and throw the rider headlong in the lists, a caitiff recreant to my cousin Hereford. Farewell, old gaunt, thy sometimes brother's wife, with her companion, grief, must end her life. Sister, farewell. I must to Coventry. As much good stay with thee as go with me. Yet one word more. Grief boundeth where it falls, not with the empty hollowness, but with weight. I take my leave before I have begun, for sorrow ends not when it seemeth done. Commend me to thy brother, Edmund York. Lo, this is all. Nay, yet depart not so, though this be all, do not so quickly go. I shall remember more. Bid him, ah, uh, what, mm, with all speed at Plashy visit me. Alack, and what shall good old York there see? But empty lodgings, and unfurnished walls, unpeopled offices, untrodden stones. And what here there for welcome? but my groans. Therefore commend me, let him not come there, to seek out sorrow that dwells everywhere. Desolate, desolate will I hence and die. The last leave of thee takes my weeping eye. Exeunt. End of Act One, Scene Two. Act One, Scene Three. Open space, near Coventry. Lists set out, and a throne. Heralds, etc., attending. Enter the Lord Marshal and O'Merle. My Lord O'Merle, is Harry Hereford armed? Yea, at all points, and longs to enter in. The Duke of Norfolk, spritefully and bold, stays but the summons of the appellant's trumpet. Why then? The champions are prepared, and stay for nothing but his majesty's approach. Enter King Richard, who takes his seat on his throne. Gaunt, Bushy, Bagot, Green, and others who take their places. A trumpet is sounded, and answered by another trumpet within. Then enter Mowbray in armor, defendant, preceded by a herald. Marshal. Demand of yonder champion the cause of his arrival here in arms. Ask him his name, and orderly proceed to swear him in the justice of his cause. In God's name and the king's, say who thou art, and why thou comest thus knightly clad in arms. Against what man thou comest, and what thy quarrel? Speak truly on thy knighthood and thy oath, 
as so defend thee heaven and thy valour. My name is Thomas Mowbray, Duke of Norfolk, who hither come engaged by my oath, which God defend a knight should violate, both to defend my loyalty and truth to God, my king, and my succeeding issue, against the Duke of Hereford that appeals me, and by the grace of God and this mine arm, to prove him in defending of myself a traitor to my God, my king, and me, and as I truly fight, defend me heaven. He takes his seat. Trumpet sounds. Enter Bolingbroke, appellant, in armour, preceded by a herald. Marshal, ask yonder knight in arms, both who he is, and why he cometh hither, thus plated in habiliments of war, and formally, according to our law, depose him in the justice of his cause. What is thy name, and wherefore comest thou hither before King Richard in his royal lists? Against whom comest thou, and what's thy quarrel? Speak like a true knight, so defend thee, heaven. Harry of Hereford, Lancaster, and Derby, am I, who here ready do stand in arms, to prove by God's grace and my body's valour, in lists on Thomas Mowbray, Duke of Norfolk, that he's a traitor, foul and dangerous, to God of heaven, King Richard, and to me. And as I truly fight, defend me, heaven. On pain of death, no person be so bold or daring-hardy as to touch the lists, except the marshal and such officers appointed to direct these fair designs. Lord Marshal, let me kiss my sovereign's hand, and bow my knee before his majesty. For Mowbray and myself are like two men that vow a long and weary pilgrimage. Then let us take a ceremonious leave and a loving farewell of our several friends. The appellant in all duty greets your highness and craves to kiss your hand and take his leave. King Richard descends from his throne. We will descend and fold him in our arms. Cousin of Hereford, as thy cause is right, so be thy fortune in this royal fight. Farewell, my blood, which if to-day thou shed, lament we may, but not revenge thee dead. Oh, let no noble eye profane a tear for me, if I be gored with Mowbray's spear, as confident as is the falcon's flight against a bird do I with Mowbray fight. My loving lord, I take my leave of you, of you, my noble cousin, Lord Amerle, not sick, although I have to do with death, but lusty, young, and the cheerly drawing breath. Lo, as at English feasts, so I regreet the daintiest last, to make the end most sweet. O oh, thou, the earthly author of my blood, whose youthful spirit in me regenerate, doth with a twofold vigor lift me up to reach at victory above my head, and proof unto mine armor with thy prayers, 
and with thy blessings esteal my lance's point, that it may enter Mowbray's waxen coat, and furbish new the name of John Agont, even in the lusty behavior of his son. God, in thy good cause, make thee prosperous. Be swift like lightning in the execution, and let thy blows, doubly redoubled, fall like amazing thunder on the cask of thy adverse pernicious enemy. Rouse up thy youthful blood, be valiant, and live. Mine innocency and St. George to thrive. He takes his seat. Mowbray, rising. However God or fortune cast my lot, there lives or dies, true to King Richard's throne, a loyal, just, and upright gentleman. Never did captive with a freer heart cast off his chains of bondage and embrace his golden uncontrolled enfranchisement. More than my dancing soul doth celebrate this feast of battle with mine adversary. Most mighty liege, and my companion peers, Take from my mouth the wish of happy years. As gentle and as jocund as to jest go I to fight, truth hath a quiet breast. Farewell, my lord. Securely I spy virtue with valour couched in thine eye. Order the trial-marshal, and begin. The king and the lords return to their seats. Harry of Hereford, Lancaster, and Derby. Receive thy lance, and God defend the right. Strong as a tower in hope, I cry amen. Go, bear this lance to Thomas, Duke of Norfolk. Harry of Hereford, Lancaster, and Derby, stands here for God, his sovereign, and himself, on pain to be found false and recreant, to prove the Duke of Norfolk, Thomas Mowbray, a traitor to his god, his king, and him, and dares him to step forward to the fight. Here standeth Thomas Mowbray, Duke of Norfolk, on pain to be found false and recreant, both to defend himself and to approve, Henry of Hereford, Lancaster, and Derby, to God his sovereign and to him disloyal, courageously, and with a free desire, attending but the signal to begin. Sound trumpets, and set forward, combatants. A charge sounded. Stay, the king hath thrown his warder down. Let them lay by their helmets and their spears, and both return back to their chairs again. Withdraw with us, and let the trumpets sound, while we return these dukes what we decree. Along a flourish, to the combatants. Draw near and list what with our counsel we have done. For that our kingdom's earth should not be soiled with that dear blood which it hath fostered, and for our eyes do hate the dire aspect of civil wounds ploughed up with neighbours' swords, and for we think the eagle-winged pride of sky-aspiring and ambitious thoughts, with rival-hating envy, set on you to wake our peace, which in our country's cradle draws the sweet infant breath of gentle sleep, which so roused up with boisterous untuned drums, with harsh resounding trumpets dreadful bray, and grating shock of wrathful iron arms, 
might from our quiet confines fright fair peace, and make us wade even in our kindred's blood. Therefore we banish you our territories, you, cousin Hereford, upon pain of life, till twice five summers have enriched our fields, shall not re-greet our fair dominions, but tread the stranger paths of banishment. Your will be done. This must my comfort be, that sun that warms you here shall shine on me, and those his golden beams to you here lent shall point on me and gild my banishment. Norfolk, for thee remains a heavier doom, which I with some unwillingness pronounce. The sly, slow hours shall not determinate the dateless limit of thy dear exile. The hopeless word of never to return breathe I against thee upon pain of life. A heavy sentence, my most sovereign liege, and all unlooked for from your highness's mouth. A dearer merit, not so deep a maim as to be cast forth in the common air, have I deserved at your highness's hands. The language I have learned these forty years, my native English, now I must forego, and now my tongue's use is to me no more than an unstringed viol or a harp, or like a cunning instrument cased up, or, being open, put into his hands that knows no touch to tune the harmony. Within my mouth you have enjailed my tongue, doubly porculist with my teeth and lips, and dull, unfeeling, barren ignorance has made my jailer to attend on me. I am too old to fawn upon a nurse, too far in years to be a pupil now. What is thy sentence, then, but speechless death which robs my tongue from breathing native breath? It boots thee not to be compassionate. After our sentence, plaining comes too late. Then thus I turn me from my country's light to dwell in solemn shades of endless night. Retiring Return again, and take an oath with thee. Lay on our royal sword your banished hands. Swear by the duty that you owe to God. Our part therein we banish with yourselves, to keep the oath that we administer. You never shall, so help you, truth and God, embrace each other's love in banishment, nor never look upon each other's face, nor never write, regreet, nor reconcile this luring tempest of your home-bred hate, nor never by advised purpose meet to plot, contrive, or complot any ill against us, our state, our subjects, or our land. I swear. And I to keep all this. Norfolk, so far as to mine enemy, by this time had the king permitted us, one of our souls had wandered in the air, banished this frail sepulchre of our flesh. And now our flesh is banished from this land. Confess thy treasons, ere thou fly the realm. Since thou hast far to go, bear not along the clogging burden of a guilty soul. 
no Bolingbroke. If ever I were traitor, my name be blotted from the book of life, and I from heaven banished as from hence. But what thou art, God, thou, and I do know, and all too soon, I fear, the king shall rue. Farewell, my liege. Now no way can I stray, save back to England, all the world's my way. Exit. Uncle, even in the glasses of thine eyes I see thy grieved heart. Thy sad aspect hath from the number of his banished years plucked four away. Six frozen winters spent return with welcome home from banishment. How long a time lies in one little word! Four lagging winters and four wanton springs end in a word. Such is the breath of kings. I thank my liege that in regard of me he shortens four years of my son's exile, but little vantage shall I reap thereby, for ere the six years that he hath to spend can change their moons and bring their times about, my oil-dried lamp and time-be-wasted light shall be extinct with age and endless night my inch of taper will be burnt and done and blindful death not let me see my son why uncle thou hast many years to live but not a minute king that thou canst give shorten my days thou canst with sullen sorrow and pluck nights from me but not lend a morrow thou canst help time to furrow me with age but stop no wrinkle in his pilgrimage thy word is current with him for my death but dead thy kingdom cannot buy my breath thy son is banished upon good advice whereto thy tongue a party verdict gave why at our justice Seem'st thou then to lower? Things sweet to taste prove indigestion sour. You urged me as a judge, but I had rather you would have bid me argue like a father. Oh, had it been a stranger, not my child! To smooth his fault I should have been more mild. A partial slander sought I to avoid, and in the sentence my own life destroyed, alas! I looked when some of you should say I was too strict to make my own away, but you gave leave to my unwilling tongue against my will to do myself this wrong. Cousin, farewell, and uncle, bid him so. Six years we banish him, and he shall go. Flourish. Exit King Richard and Train. Cousin, farewell. What presence must not know from where you do remain, let paper show. My lord, no leave take I, for I will ride as far as land will let me by your side. 
Oh, to what purpose dost thou hoard thy words, that thou return'st no greeting to thy friends? I have too few to take my leave of you. When the tongue's office should be prodigal to breathe the abundant dolor of the heart. Thy grief is but thy absence for a time. Joy absent. Grief is present for that time. What is six winters? They are quickly gone. Two men enjoy. But grief makes one hour ten. Call it a travel that thou takest for pleasure. My heart will sigh when I miscall it so, which finds it an enforced pilgrimage. The sullen passage of thy weary steps esteem as foil wherein thou art to set the precious jewel of thy home return. Nay, rather, every tedious stride I make will but remember me what a deal of world I wander from the jewels that I love. Must I not serve a long apprenticehood to foreign passages, and in the end, having my freedom, boast of nothing else but that I was a journeyman to grief? All places that the eye of heaven visits are to a wise man ports and happy havens. Teach thy necessity to reason thus. There is no virtue like necessity. Think not the king did banish thee, but thou the king. Woe doth the heavier sit where it perceives it is but faintly born. Go, say I sent thee forth to purchase honor, and not the king exiled thee. Or suppose devouring pestilence hangs in our air, and thou art flying to a fresher clime. Look what thy soul holds dear, imagine it, to lie that way thou goest, not whence thou comest. Suppose the singing birds, musicians, the grass whereon thou treadst the presence strewed, the flowers of fair ladies, and thy steps no more than a delightful measure or a dance. For gnarling sorrow hath less power to bite the man that mocks it and sets it light. Oh, who can hold a fire in his hand by thinking on the frosty Caucasus? Or cloy the unhungry edge of appetite by bare imagination of a feast? or wallow naked in December snow, by thinking on fantastic summer's heat. Oh, no! The apprehension of the good gives but the greater feeling to the worse. Fell sorrow's tooth doth never rankle more than when it bites, but lanceth not the sore. Come, come, my son, I'll bring thee on thy way. Had I thy youth and cause, I would not stay. Then, England's ground, farewell. Sweet soil, adieu, 
my mother and my nurse that bears me yet. Where'er I wander, boast of this I can, though banished, yet a true-born Englishman. Exeunt. End of Act One, Scene Three. Act One, Scene Four, London, A Room in the King's Castle. Enter King Richard, Bagot, and Green at one door, O'Merle at another. We did observe. Cousin O'Merle, how far brought you High Hereford on his way? I brought High Hereford, if you call him so, but to the next highway, and there I left him. And say, what store of parting tears were shed? Faith, none for me, except the north-east wind which then blew bitterly against our faces, awaked the, the sleeping room, and so by chance did grace our hollow parting with a tear. What said our cousin when you parted with him? Farewell. And for my heart disdain that my tongue should so profane the word, taught me craft to counterfeit oppression of such grief that words seemed buried in my sorrow's grave. Mary, would the word farewell have lengthened hours and added years to his short banishment? He should have had a volume of farewells, but since it would not, he had none of me. He is our cousin, cousin. But tis doubt— when time shall call him home from banishment, whither our kinsmen come to see his friends. Ourself and Bushy, Bagot here, and Green, observed his courtship to the common people, how he did seem to dive into their hearts with humble and familiar courtesy, what reverence he did throw away on slaves, wooing poor craftsmen with the craft of smiles, and patient underbearing of his fortune as to to banish their effects with him. Off goes his bonnet to an oyster-wench, a brace of draymen, bid God speed him well, and had the tribute of his supple knee, with thanks my countrymen, my loving friends, as were our England in reversion his, and he our subject's next degree in hope. Well, he is gone and with him go these thoughts. Now for the rebels which stand out in Ireland. Expedient vantage must be made, my liege, ere further leisure yield them further means for their advantage and your highness' loss. We will ourself in person to this war, and for our coffers with too great a court and liberal largesse are grown somewhat light, we are enforced to farm our royal realm the revenue whereof shall furnish us for our affairs in hand. If that come short, our substitutes at home shall have blank charters, whereto, when they shall know what men are rich, they shall subscribe them for large sums of gold, and send them after to supply our wants, for we will make for Ireland presently. Enter Bushy. Bushy, what news? Old John of Gaunt is grievous sick, my lord, suddenly taken, and hath sent post-haste to entreat your majesty to visit him. 
Where lies he? At Ely House. Now put it, God, in his physician's mind, to help him to his grave immediately. The lining of his coffers shall make coats to deck our soldiers for these Irish wars. Come, gentlemen, let's all go visit him. Pray God we may make haste, and come too late. Amen. Amen. Exeunt. End of Act One. Scene Four. End of Act One.